This is the Blue, White and Yellow podcast from Leeds United Live, giving you the in-depth analysis of all the big talking points from Ellen Road. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Blue, White and Yellow podcast with myself, Connor McGilligan, your podcast and multimedia producer and your Leeds United uh, digital reporter, Baron Cross. Baron, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, I'm good. It's um, it's like the Marish Less this week, isn't it? There's there's not many of us about. We've got um, various days off and holidays and the crew game, of course, has kind of split our rotors and there's been two 23s games and then we've got Burnley on Sunday. So, we're all a bit like passion ships in the night, but we uh, we made the effort to get on together today, didn't we? We did, mate. We did. Um, I'm trying to think of the last time we spoke, actually. It was probably pre... Before Everton, I would think. Yeah, yeah. pre-Everton, wasn't it? So, the dust has settled on that. I guess it's it's probably key to touch on that for for, for, for a little bit, you know. Uh, what did what did you make of it overall, mate? Have you, have you just sort of turned around and had any sort of like post-thoughts on that game? Yeah, I think... Um... Probably the, the the bottom line that came out, which was quite nicely summed up by Angus Kinnear in um, the crew program notes, was the fact they came back from two, from from um, from being behind twice. Um, I think on paper, you look at the start of the season, you see obviously a heavy defeat at Old Trafford, and then you see a draw against the side that finished below Leeds last season. And if you wanted to, you could you could kind of draw quite a negative outlook on things. But I think when you look at it more closely, Everton clearly a very very good side. Another. Fairly pricey, maybe not as, as as expensive as Man United, but um, the Toffees aren't cheaply put together, are they? And, and Benitez, we know for whether you rate his career or not, you know he's won a lot of trophies and he's he's very very tacti- tactically astute, regardless of, of how expensive his teams have been in the past. So a very very good coach, a pretty good team on paper, and of course only finished one place behind Leeds. So we're not talking about somebody that finished just outside the relegation zone last term. So. That was never going to be an easy game at Ellen Road. And, and having the fans back, I think, was, was the main thing. It was absolutely fantastic. I know those of you that, have, that are listening that were there will, will agree it was quite an emotional day. Um, the noise was was staggering and, and the atmosphere was superb. And the players were incredibly well back throughout the match. And I'm sure the fans will take some credit for getting the team to come back from, from a goal down on two occasions. So, uh, yeah, I, I think a win against Burnley would, would, would nicely round things off in this first little little three games before the international break but um there's a lot a lot to be taken from the two to draw and the the character they showed in coming back from that game yeah later on in the podcast we uh we're going to discuss with uh burnley writer at lancashire live uh, just the specifics of burnley so we'll get onto that in a little bit but just in terms of everton did you i mean there was obviously going to be an improvement from the man united game obviously but we sort of pleased with what you saw in terms of, I mean, you were talking about courage there and coming back and, and this, that and the other. Were you, has that put you in a little bit of a better headspace when it comes to Leeds United going forward? Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's probably the other big takeaway was the relief that we all took from it. And I think that's what it was. It's just that nice little reassuring reminder, right? Okay, it's okay. They are a good team. <laughs> they, they can still play Bielsa ball. Uh, the old Trafford game was a one-off as we, as we hoped it would be. And we saw, whilst it wasn't vintage leads, we did see uh, many, many passages where they played very, very good football and looked much more like the side that we're used to. Um, trying to think about that off my head now, obviously, with, with the crew game, trying to sort of shift that out of the way of my uh, my recent memory and trying to think about what happened on Saturday. Um, Rafinha's goal, of course, stood out hugely, the, the quality. And he was another example of what we were hoping to see you know a bit more from him and that goal was was everything we were used to from last season you know the, the quality he showed in that finish um but it was it was a big relief to, to see that and to show that they they had sort of recovered from the old Trafford game and 
like I say, if they can go and beat Burnley, then I think we're back on an even keel and people are feeling a bit more sort of positive and thinking back to how well we finished last season. Um, but I think a draw against Everton may all prove to be a good result as the season progresses. Yeah, and we moved on to Crew, didn't we? Where I mean, there was some amazing stats going around about I think it was a, a second round game and how how many how many tickets <laughs> sold out thirty five thousand. I mean, I was there, Baron. You were there, and I mean, the atmosphere was to say it was a an EFL Cup game was was quite <laughs> staggering, wasn't it? It really <laughs> was. It's balmy, isn't it? This yeah. club's just crazy, and I think uh, I mean I'm sure Leeds fans will correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm pretty sure they, in a normal world, they probably wouldn't have, have attended a a second round League Cup game against a League One side as well as they did if they hadn't been missing football for for the best part of eighteen months. I'm sure it's got a big part to play. I'm sure you probably agree, Connor, is that they just want their fix, don't they? And and of course, for obvious reasons, Carabao Cup games are going to be slightly easier to get tickets for than it would be for the Premier League. So. Not a huge surprise, I think, when you think about how long the the fans have been away to see it, that, that sort of well attended. But yeah, I think it broke records. I think LUFC Data, sort of friend of the website, he, he put a tweet out after the game saying it is on. It is now the best attended second round League Cup game in history. It's <laughs> just crazy. And like you say, for, for, to say it was against a League One team, there was quite a lot of drama. I mean, the fact the first goal came, came so late, there was a little bit of drama to it, but the fans really made it, didn't they? You wouldn't have believed it was a a low-key match they were expected to win. Yeah, incredible atmosphere. And that was the big takeaway, I think, from the game. What what did you think about, obviously, the lineup? It was very, very strong. Very yeah. strong in, 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 in comparison to the, you know, cup competitions normally that Bielsa puts out sort of a, a weaker Leeds United side. Mm. So do you think this year he's sent... I mean, I'm not saying he didn't take it seriously, but do you think he's taken yeah. it maybe more seriously? I know your point completely. Yeah, we tried to sort of sum this up in a few, a few pieces after the game and... I agree with you. When the team came out, you kind of thought, wow, that's really strong. There can't be too many changes. But then when you actually add them up, there were six. So it became quite hard to write a piece that said Bielsa's only made one or two changes. It's it's a massive sort of break with tradition. But in actual fact, I mean, last year was was a bit of an exception, making 11 changes for that whole game. But if you look at the FA Cup games he's he's managed and you look at the other Carabao Cup games he's managed, it's always been sort of between five and eight changes. So numbers-wise, it actually wasn't too different. But I know what you mean. When you actually see the names on the on the piece of paper, you, you can't help but feel it was stronger than normal. And just looking at the side now, I mean, there's nobody there that you looked at and immediately thought, youngster, that's a 23 player that's getting its, his first chance. I mean, yeah. off the top of my head, Shackleton must have been the youngest in the team and or maybe Stroik's younger. But those two are well-established now, aren't they? And, and of course, Melier kept his place. And, and historically, he has gone with the, the backup keeper, whether it be... Cassia, Peacock, Farrell or Jamal Blackman in, in his first year. So I, I don't know. I don't think Bielsa would ever, like you've already alluded to, I don't think Bielsa would ever say I didn't take it seriously before. I, I, he always says, doesn't he, on the record, I want to win every game. But as we've just said, you know, you, you look at the previous ways he's approached those cup games. If, for instance, the QPR cup game stands out in his first season and he has made a lot of changes in the past. He can't say he's ever taken it as seriously as the league because the, the changes would show that. So... We'll have to see. I think if they win maybe the next round or the round after that, then suddenly it gets a bit more interesting, doesn't it? Yeah. It was, do you think crew were just dogged and, and, and sort of defensively decent? Or do you think Leeds were sort of wasteful up to a point? Because obviously when Leeds, when Leeds brought Bamford on, it all really changed, didn't yeah. it, in terms of an offensive capacity? I thought up to that point, maybe we're a little bit lacklustre in front of goal. Do you, do you sort of share that? 
Yeah, I thought crew were good, to be honest. I thought they were they were um, good value for what they were doing. Um, as somebody that's covered lower league football in the past, I sort of I sympathise a lot with what they were going through and the fact it was this this huge day out for them. And of course, the fans were there for the occasion and the chance to go to a Premier League club. But um, I, I thought they did they did pretty well, to be honest, when you consider the golfing class and how strong Leeds were. I mean, you may have agreed, but I think when the team came out in the press box, we were all saying, you know, this is going to be you know, five, six, seven nil with how strong they were. But it's a hold out until the 79th minute. That's that's that can't just be all down to Leeds being wasteful. That's got to come down to to crew putting in a shift. And there were there were a few little sights at goal, especially in the first half. And, um, and crew got some last ditch blocks in. There was a few clearances off the line. Um, but I think it was a bit of both. I think Leeds probably would have wanted to do a bit better around the around the box. But I think Bielsa after the game said we missed ten chances in the first half, ten chances in the second half. So um, yeah, they, they were a bit wasteful, I would say. Yeah, and I think it's it's when you see Rafa in this in that side, isn't it? And just how how good he is, and how creative he is, and how innovative he is. It is there is a huge difference when he's not when he's not part of that starting eleven, isn't there? Huge difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I know we don't want to get onto a we don't want to become a, a held cost a beating podcast, but um, yeah, another difficult evening for him and, and Rodrigo as well. It wasn't just Costa, Roberts as well. I, I felt that. Those three, I think Harrison, as the match would go on to prove in the second half, I think even before he scored, Harrison was clearly the, the biggest threat. And he, he, as he often does, shows that he visibly shows how frustrated he is in, his, in himself. You know, if he if he duffs across or something, he sort of chastises himself, hits his own legs, that kind of thing. He was the one that was looking to make things happen, for sure, which we, you may want to talk about. looked really, really solid going forward. Click click was okay, probably, probably a touch above average, but... Um, Roberts Costa Rodrigo had, had a pretty challenging evening, and like you say, Phillips's goal sort of took the pressure off, and um, and of course the match felt won by that point, given how quiet Melier was. Um, but Bamford, yeah, just 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 the fact that he had those legs into the channels gave Crew a bit more to think about. I'm sure Crew were a little bit more expressive once they went behind and had to open up a little bit, and that that helps Bamford getting behind. But um, but him and Harrison were, were certainly the standouts. Yeah, Harrison was. It was nice to see him take the mantle as well. We're just speaking yeah. about Rafinha there, but everything I thought everything good from Leeds came down the left. He wanted the ball. He was making the runs, and that's the thing with Jack Harrison. You can never criticize a player who wants the ball all yes. the time. And Calvin's the exact same, isn't he? And, and yeah. Rafa, obviously. So Firpo yeah. was better as well, wasn't he, Connor? I thought. Fir- I think as a part of Harrison doing better, Firpo looked much better than he did against Everton. Yeah, I think he's getting a little bit more confidence, isn't he? I think at the start, there was a lot of talk about him maybe being a little bit nervous, but I don't know if it's mm. nerves. I think it's just this Leeds United system and how yeah, meticulous it is and being able to, you know, embed yourself in it so quickly. It must be so difficult. It must, like, on and off, yeah. especially in front of that crowd. He must have been looking around thinking, yeah. what is going on? Crew at home. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was it was nice to see as well. Um, and we've not touched on, on it yet, but I want to talk on uh, Diego, obviously, and Forshaw. Yeah. I was really impressed with Forshaw, Baron. I thought I was I was doing a bit of a player cam. I was just watching him for a lot mm. of the game and seeing his movement. I'm sure you were doing the same and, and you know, stepping on one foot, then the other, hoping he doesn't twinge something. Um, but he looked, I thought he looked really, really good, really competent in that role. Yeah, really pleased for him. Really, really just so, so relieved for him. You know, we obviously get to we get to know the players a little bit off the field. You know, we, we don't get to sort of hang out with them or anything like that. But when we do interviews, we'll obviously have maybe a bit of minor chat before or after an interview. And I had a bit of time with him in Australia, actually, when we did the, the pre-season tour a couple of years ago. And just a top, top bloke. Really, really nice guy. And he just breathes football. 
anybody that's listened to the podcast that he does, he's quite good at sort of in, interacting with these podcasts that are away from the club and away from mainstream media. And he always comes across really well and somebody that will watch every single match he can that's on TV. I don't know what his, what his wife must think of that, but he, he seems to have it always on the brain and he's talked openly about wanting to become a coach. And Bielsa has really sort of um, accelerated that in him and, and, he, and he loves the tactical side of the game. And I, I'm sure at some point he'll do an in-depth interview either with the club or, or one of those of us sort of outside the club. And it must have been so hard. I don't think any of us can understand how hard it must have been for him. We're talking nearly two years and not any two years, two years where they've lifted the championship title and finished ninth in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, especially Baron, when you're getting a manager who's essentially saying you were the best player at the club yeah. when yeah. I, when the manager came in with such a, an unbelievable reputation, and then yeah. you sort of just can't get ahead of steam, you can't get going, and you can't prove. And knowing right. and knowing that Bielsa's not going to be here forever, because at mm. some point he will move on. And, and when you just miss two of those. Two two years in a very short period of time, and that's that's really really hard to get your head around. I'm sure he's doing his best to kind of cope with it, but yeah, really really happy for him on Tuesday. Looked really really competent. Did not look anything like a player that had missed two years of of senior competitive football. And and time will tell. You know, Bielsa has said that. I think Forshaw has said that they will take their time with it. They'll judge it on a on a match by match basis. I wonder if he'll play for the 23s tomorrow um, down at, at Derby. We'll have to see whether that's maybe too much for him. I think they. I suppose they could well be tempted just to keep him to sort of one match a week, whichever setting that might be in. But but yeah, like you say, he looked really carried the ball well. Tack- I mean, crucially tackled well. I don't know if you noticed mm. that he was committed mm. in the challenge. There was no shyness or protecting himself. He was he was throwing his head into aerial balls. Did you wince when he was going in? For yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and the passing was good. You know, he didn't look particularly rusty. Of course, the usual caveat: it was a cup game. It was a League One team, but. You take your wins when you can get them, and, and I'm sure he'd be really, really pleased to get that first game back at the road chalked off. Yeah, and he was up against world class opposition in Luke Murphy, so that well done. <laughs> um, but yeah, and Urente as well, Baron. Uh, I mean, the improvement with him in the side just how direct he is. He's always looking forward. He fizzes the ball into the midfield, doesn't he? And he's, I think he also makes Leeds move um, from transit for, into the, you know, attacking transition so quickly as well. And I thought once again, he was, he was, he just, he's just mustard, isn't he? He's, he's a yeah. cut above. He's a cut above. It's simple as that, really. Yeah. Yeah. I, we didn't ask Bielsa, but I think we're all assuming that the 45 minutes was pre-planned given that he's not played since the Batiste friendly. So, I think that makes a lot of sense. And like you say, again, leave an opposition, not a lot to do, but when he had the ball, very, very competent, look for those passes moving forward. And, you know, I think we had this a little bit last season, I think moving forward, if they're all fit, he else has got a decision to make. Um, I know Cooper's got his critics, um, but I think we're probably all in agreement now. Urente's probably just about edged out cock. If you're, if you're playing with... Urente's probably got the sort of favour at the moment, and then it's sort of either Koik or Strauch. Coik, Cooper or Strauch, <laughs> sorry. I'm, I'm getting all, I'm getting Cock, Stroik and Cooper all mixed up in one player. Um, I think depending on whether you're Bielsa or whether you're a fan, um, depends on which one of those you go for as the left footer. Yeah, 100%. Um, and what else have we seen this week? Well, we've seen Charlie Cresswell yeah. uh, find a new contract extension, which is very exciting, Baron. Yeah, I think um, one of many contract deals a club looks to sort of get ticked off every year. They'll, they'll obviously have a, a raft of contract talks that, that Victor Orta leads. Of course, transfers are the priority, but 
as and when he can sort of through that sort of late summer early autumn period he'll try and get the the various contracts tied up to ensure the club are, are safe with their, with their best talents and we've seen more recently the the bigger names like Melier and Bamford and Dallas Tyler Roberts earlier in the summer all getting tied down to uh, to longer term deals and Cresswell clearly is going from strength to strength uh, the likes of Arpo Hal may have moved on now um Pascal of course has made the step up and Cresswell is all of a sudden become sort of the, the number one centre-back really now that Casey of course has moved on as well and, and Cresswell the captaincy under Mark Jackson um, still on the sort of younger side he's, he's not quite on the wrong side of 20 yet so you think he'll be fine this season and I wonder if next summer whether he finds the same situation that Oliver Casey has found because there's there's four senior virtually international centre-backs once, once Pascal gets a call up in his way and I wonder if next summer maybe they look at it and think you know we've got you under contract now for a, for a long period of time and you are very much our future go out on loan for a season and just play some league one or championship football and see if that can move him on because I can't see Pascal Robin Diego or Liam moving on or, or, or sort of waning so much that next summer one of them drops out of that quartet so I think there is a bit of a blockade there which is why Casey's moved on so We'll see, but Cresswell has all the hallmarks of a, of a future Leeds United player, if not a future captain, with, with how well he's leading and how vocal he is. Anybody that watches the 23s will know he's he's very, very talkative and leads from the front. And it's as, as well with the the impression that you consistently have to leave at Leeds United. You look at someone as a case study like Niall Huggins, and he was so favoured, you know, mm. even, just, even just last season, obviously coming on against Arsenal, and you think thinking to yourself, he, he really is part of Bielsa's long-term plans here, but it just shows that that level you have to keep yeah. up, keep up week in week out no matter no matter what sort of you know age you are yeah it's it's a huge huge leap now we're seeing that with more and more of the 23s that we all thought would would be here for a few years and would would be moving into the, into that first team realms but you know we, we only have to look at the current debate around the transfer business and and where people think the club are light in certain positions and you think well if you think they're they're light now imagine if 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 the club were trying to say that the 23s were sort of I mean, nobody at the club has said that Lewis Bate is going to be a first-team regular because he's not quite that level yet. So that debate is being had about the likes of Robbie Gotts, Niall Huggins, Jordan Stevens. These are all players that Bielsa has happily played, um, if not in the Championship, then, then, as you say, last season at times in the Premier League. But it's a big leap to make it into that sort of 18, 19 players that Bielsa has in that core group. When you've got the likes of Forshaw now sort of slowly but surely working their way back in with, with all the experience they have, it's really, really tough. And they've got to be quite selective in those players they either choose to send out on loan or choose to send out permanently because you're talking about young lads' careers. And I mean, I chatted to Casey a little bit once he moved to Blackpool and, and he said that, you know, that at some point, you know, as much as you love Leeds United and, and love the dream of playing in that white shirt in the first team, you've got a career to think about and you can't wait around until the age of 25, 26 for somebody to retire, for you to then maybe get a chance. So these decisions have to be made on a window-by-window basis for these youngsters. And, um, and of course, Cresswell, you know, if he's getting offered a long-term deal, he's got to take it and hope that maybe in 12 to 18 months, he's in a position where he's improved enough to put serious pressure on that, on that first four. Yeah, and interesting enough, but we were just talking there, I mentioned it about Niall Huggins. I think we should just briefly touch on him because obviously, you know, we've, we've, we've not done anything since that. I, I didn't expect that, Baron. I didn't expect that at all. Um, Niall Huggins obviously leaving. Uh, I think he signed a four-year deal, was it, at Sunderland? And uh, Sunderland fans seem very happy with that one. 
Did you think that it'd be a loan deal then? Because, I mean, I'm sure no. No, no, nobody thought he'd be sort of in the first initiative, did they? So did you think they, I mean, because he was one of the few that actually has another year on his deal. So the likes of Gotts and Camoir and Stevens and Hosanna, their, their deals expire in, in less than 12 months, whereas Hosanna had until 2023, which in itself reminds us he signed a new deal in December. So that shows how recently he was he was signing a new contract, then coming on at the Emirates Stadium. But you know, Bielsa talked about it a little bit. Anybody that hasn't seen it, he was asked about it in his in one of his recent press conferences, and he and he, and he you know, very clearly explained that you know I'm not going to hold players here against their own will. If if other opportunities come their way, as they did with Ian Pervader this week, mm. then I'm not going to stand in their way. And if those options are permanent deals, then we'll take a bit more of a serious view of it. But if they really are a long way down the pecking order, and they've got the chance of getting a four year contract somewhere else in in such a cutthroat industry then the players have got to take it. Yeah, and it's a big club as well, isn't it? It's still a yeah, exactly. opportunity for Yeah, regardless it. of what you think about Sunderland, that's a huge club with an immense amount of potential. And Huggins, as with Casey, will back themselves now to improve to a point where where they have to play week in, week out for what are pretty strong EFL sides. Touching on Pervader, what are your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I think maybe a bit of a surprise. I think the writing was on the wall when once it became clear he was with that 23s group in the summer. Um, I think the longer he remained in that group, the more we looked into it and thought that this wasn't just a one-off for the Fleetwood game, which is where he first appeared with the, with the 23s alongside Forshaw. And then, of course, the fact he was entirely absent from both the first team and the 23s in the first couple of weeks of the season really didn't sound good. Um, you know, I'll admit, I think Joe and I discussed this a few times, none of us have actually yet directly asked Marcelo if, if, if Perveda was injured, which was why he was missing. But obviously it's a bit sort of after the event now but um no i mean victor Orta has said it bielsa has said it that um they very much like the idea of him coming back next year he does have several years on his deal because of course he was signed as a as a first team candidate immediately from man city it's hard to sorry it's easy to forget this guy was at barcelona he's been at brentford he's been at city he's been courted by some of the biggest chelsea as well of course he's been courted by some of the biggest clubs in europe as a very very young very very young player so there's clearly potential there, and he's evidently one that hasn't quite hit the high notes under Bielsa yet. I think he did look a little bit lightweight for me at the back end of last season when he was coming on. I don't think he was changing games. So um, I don't think I, I think Blackburn's a great move for him if he can play regularly. I don't think he'll be hugely missed by the Leeds first team. But ask me that again if Costa, Rafinha and Harrison are all injured. <laughs> yeah, Somerville time. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is interesting, isn't it, with regards to him going to Blackburn? Because I, I even just look at that Blackburn team and you think to yourself, you know, will he be starting regularly? You know, because uh, in the championship, who knows? But then you look at the development of someone like Harvey Elliott, obviously he went from Liverpool to Blackburn and now, he, he, I mean, he started for Liverpool at the weekend. So hopefully you'd, you'd expect Lee's to be following that blueprint. But it is interesting how when players are, are, are you know, Leeds are going after players, the players want to be guaranteed minutes. I wonder if Leeds have said the exact same to Blackburn about Ian Pervader. You'd have thought so. Um, I think, as we well know, Nketiah is probably the most most famous recent example that we've we've discovered. There were there were quite strict financial penalties for, for not playing Nketiah, but Bielsa or the club were happy to pay it because of how well Bamford was doing at that period. So, <coughs> excuse me. I think if. I'd be surprised if that arrangement is not in place with Pervader. I think it's par for the course. And I'm sure Blackburn kind of expected that. Before you look at Blackburn's team, you kind of assume, oh, okay, yeah, a Premier League player going to Championship Club, they're going to play every week. But 
yeah, you do look more close at these these squads and they do have quite experienced championship campaigners in them. You know, these teams aren't they're not they're not messing around. They've got very serious ambitions. And I know Blackburn, of course, who have recently got a lot of money for Adam Armstrong, are looking at they looking upwards at the table, regardless of how sort of tumultuous it's been off the field for them with the Venkies. Mowbray has done unbelievable work there. Anybody that's that's had any sort of attention on the on the championship or EFL outside of Leeds in recent years will, will surely acknowledge that Mowbray has done wonders there with his budget and with with the difficulties they've got off the pitch there. So it's a serious team. And if Pervader's playing regularly, then he'll do brilliantly. But I don't think any of us are, are sort of saying that Pervader's at the level of Harvey Elliott, who is, I think, considered a generational talent. Yeah. One year ago, Baron. Uh, Rodrigo was signed for £27 million, uh, a club record deal. And it's interesting, it was it was going around on Twitter, people were having comments and stuff like that, you know, uh, how's it gone? How, how do you feel it's, it's going to go? I mean, overall, £27 million for Rodrigo, I, 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 I still at this moment in time feel a little bit underwhelmed with it, just for the price we paid and, and the sort of calibre of player that he is. Uh, what, what are your general thoughts on it? Yeah, I think we're still waiting, aren't we? Um, I know it's a year on it and some people would say, how much longer do you want to wait? But I think there are extenuating circumstances. He, of course, never wanted to have COVID, but he got it. Never wanted to get injured, but he did. And unfortunately, it looks like Rodrigo is, unlike somebody like Kevin Phillips, he is somebody who, who's, who's going to take a while to get back from injuries. It looks like it does take him a fair old while to get some rhythm and get some momentum going. And Bielsa's aware of that, you know, I think going into the Everton game where Rodrigo was on the bench, again, before we spoke to Bielsa, we all jumped to conclusions and felt that, you know, wow, he really didn't like him at Old Trafford. And I know that a lot of people, I think you might be one of them, that, that do feel that he's a great player, but he's probably more of a striker than a centre-mid in, in, a, in a team where the centre-mids need to be very, very disciplined and defensively switched on. So you come out of the Old Trafford game where he got hooked at half-time and you think, wow, you know, he really is down the pecking order now. And it's quite a statement to leave out your club record signing for, for Mateusz Klick and then leave the player on the bench showing that he's he's fit enough to play. But of course, Marcelo did then explain, I think, and he's aware, he's well aware of the narrative. You know, He reads everything that gets written about Leeds. He knows what people are saying and thinking about Rodrigo. And he was quite keen to nip that one in the bud and make it clear that, you know, look, he had a muscle problem and if he hadn't had it, he would have played. Now, I've not lost faith in Rodrigo. I firmly believe he's going to come good and he's going to show his quality for Leeds United. And if you force me to say it, I'll tell you now, he was arguably the most improved player this summer for me. So he was very, very keen to sort of point that out and stress that in the press conference. Um, we do have to wait and see. Ironically, we're going to Turf Moor again, which three and a half months ago was, was arguably his best performance, again, from the bench with two absolutely sublime goals. So time will tell. As of right now, it doesn't look like an amazing deal, if you're being brutally honest. You know, upwards of £30 million for somebody who you probably count on one hand how many games where he's really excelled and excited people. But I think there's a lot there that's still untapped. You know, I think if, if he can play more than 30 games, more than 35 games in the league this year, I think by, you know, by the turn of the year, he could be scintillating. He's world class. I still think, I still thoroughly believe he's world class. It's just... Yeah, no, I do, mate. Spetty was. That, I mean, it, that's all opinion. I mean, that's all where people pitch world class. That isn't it, don't yeah, they? I mean, I'm, some people think world class is five players in the world, and others think it's like thirty oh, or forty okay, players. Yeah. Are, we doing, are we doing it on that? Yeah, obviously, he's not on the level of uh, Ronaldo, Messi. No. You know, <laughs> not putting him up there. But I think, I think 
technically, you can tell he's extremely, extremely good. I, I just, I wonder where he's going to, as, as you've just said, Baron, he's going to get a, con- a consistent run of games in this side and, and, and where he's going to be playing. Is it going to be that central midfield role? It looks like it. I wonder, I wonder if you asked, Rodrigo, where he'd rather play, that that would be interesting. Um, well, it's all I mean, that, yeah, I mean that's, I mean, ironically, us as journalists who are regularly scrambling for ideas for questions, I think Rodrigo must get bored how many times we ask him. But we do ask him about the position thing, and and as a re- he's such a polite and, and friendly bloke that he's always very diplomatic with his answer, and he'll say, you know, he stops short of saying, "I'll play where the manager tells me," which is what Shackleton <laughs> would say. But he does say, you know, I, I can play. As a as a ten or a nine, and if you really want me to, as an eight. Um, so it's all down to opinions. I think he can play it. You know, I think you look at Villa away last season will always stand out to me as one of his better mm. performances. You know, the night that Bamford scored his hat trick, I think Rodrigo had a lot a lot to do with that hat trick. You know, I think he was superb playing off Bamford, playing just behind him, and sadly that was just before he picked up COVID and and he missed sort of that first batch of matches for the season. But he was building a an understanding with Bamford. I think he can do it. You know, I think before he limped off at Leicester, I remember again Leicester away for me possibly the performance of the season. If, if you're ignoring Man City away, and before he limped off in the first half, there again he started that match really well and looked like he was linking up well with with Bamford with Dallas making those third man runs off the pair of them. So I think he can make a success of it. I think it's just a question of time. It's really unfortunate and, and impatient people will not want to hear us say that, but. I just think he needs 10, I mean, I'm talking like 10 to 15 games in a row and and hopefully we will, we will see a lot more from him. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I mean, I guess that moved us quite nicely on to transfers. Goodness me. It's, and it's ending, <laughs> Baron. It's ending. Oh, I bet you're delighted. Yeah, less than a week to go, thankfully. <laughs> but yeah, the Leeds have to do something, Baron. The Leeds have to do something. Well, they don't have to, no, because there's no real, um, there's no sort of, nobody's holding a gun to their head, are they, and saying, you know, you've, you've got to do this. So, I mean, they don't, they don't have to. I think, I'm sure a lot of us would like them to, but I think Bielsa, Kinnear, and I think Orta may well have done interviews in Spain. I've, 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 Probably making that up. I think it probably is just Kinnear and Bielsa that have spoken about it. But in recent weeks, on more than one occasion now, you know, Kinnear said it on other podcasts. He said it in the in the match day program. Bielsa said it in every press conference. He's asked about it. It's unlikely. They've not said no. They've not said never. They've not said it definitely won't happen. But they're they're just trying to manage expectations, saying, look, it looks unlikely or improbable that we will get new first team players in. And and whether you like it or not. That's that's the view the club are taking. Again, I think um, I think Joe um, Joe D did a piece recently, which I think summed up quite nicely the the transfer market situation and where it was twelve months ago as well. Rafini was not somebody they were looking at until it became very very clear right at the end of the window. I think we've all we've all heard the story now about. I think Deco's talked about it. I think Rafini has talked about it. Is that it, I think he played for Ren two days before he signed for Leeds and on immediately after the, that game. They basically pulled him into a director's box and said, look, Leeds want you. We're happy to sell you. Do you want to go? And that was the first he heard of it. And that was two days before he signed. So these things can happen very, very quickly. We know whether we like it or not, Orta has got shortlists. And I know we all, we're all sick of hearing about shortlists and why players aren't being signed and why players are just on lists on pieces of paper. But if they need to move quickly, Orta knows who he will move for. And I'm sure he will make calls 
at the end of the window just to have those final questions and say, look, is X, Y, and Z available? Is it still at this price or can we get it at this price? Are you more open to, to dropping your asking price? And if, if enough of those stars line up, then you never know what might happen. Bielsa has said if, if they can improve the squad, he's never going to say no. But the bar for improving that team for him is so, so high. You've got to be such an elite player to displace the likes of Dallas, Rodrigo, Rafinha, Harrison, the centre-backs well talked about, Calvin Phillips, you know, almost irreplaceable, and you know, Ailing or the other new left-back, Furpo, or Melier, the world's next best goalkeeper. I mean, when you actually think about it like that and you say out loud who we're talking about, like Bielsa said, you're looking at 30, 40, 50 million pounds to get players in that can improve those positions. Rafinha was a complete one-off with that price. If they can get something like that again, then they will. I'm sure they will because it's amazing value, which is why Victor will, will still be ringing people. But I think whether we like it or not, it looks distinctly unlikely at the moment. And I think the O'Brien stuff's just just dragged on for so long now. Unless Huddersfield come back and say, look, you can have him for like £2 million. It's hard to see it happening. But yeah. where, where do you stand on it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think... I guess if Bielsa's happy, we're happy. How many times has he proven us wrong, yeah. Aaron? It yeah, yeah, quite, quite right, yeah. It, it happens all the time. He, he proves every single person wrong with, with, with his selections. I mean, the Eddie Nketiah thing, it was ironic you brought up that earlier because that was one of the things where Leeds fans just couldn't get their heads around it. Why is Eddie not starting? And then I think he had those two games, didn't he? Was it against Birmingham, I think he started, and West Brom, and he was completely out of his depth. Bamford came on, and I think he changed the West Brom game, didn't he? Yeah, scored? West Brom. Yeah, West Brom. Um, yeah. But I just, I just think you have got to keep faith with Bielsa because we're going to be okay. And it, it comes, it's that age-old question, isn't it? Of what is your expectation this year? If it, if it's Leeds pushing on, really, really pushing on, then yeah, I can understand you. You wanting two or three signings in, but if you're sort of thinking mid-table, maybe a little bit lower, then surely this this team as it yeah. is now can amount to that. Yeah, I, I think people need to be re- think realistically about what you need to do to break into that top six. You need to spend a lot of money, a hell of a lot of money, to get to become a top six club. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to, if you want to get to eight, it's not going to be a massive stretch to get to eighth or seventh. Although I think we've had this discussion, didn't we? Pre-season, we looked at pre-season predictions and where we might finish. And Spurs and I mean, Arsenal look horrendous at the moment, but Spurs and Arsenal on paper do look a touch stronger based on on how their windows have gone in. And of course, Spurs have now kept Harry Kane, so. To breach that top eight, Leeds would Leeds would have to spend a lot of money, which again is what Bielsa is saying. You know, in 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 other words, you know, I, I, yeah, I think it does come down to what your expectations are, and what you think what you think is realistic, because Leeds can't go from winning the championship to finishing ninth to finishing fifth. It just doesn't yeah, work exactly. like that. It does not work like that. If you offered me thirteenth, fourteenth, now extreme example, seventeenth, I'd snap your hand off. If Leeds can consolidate in the Premier League after two or three years, then they're in a position to hit go on the stadium, on the training ground, and all these things, and the money comes in, it becomes more sustainable because then you've got several years of Premier League money. And I think at that point is when you can realistically go to the club and say, look, what is your plan? Where's your ambition? But I think right now it's really hard for anybody to go to the club and say you're lacking ambition. They have invested. You spent over £100 million last year. And I know people have got their own opinions on that description and why that's a valid argument and why it isn't and why they should be spending that every year. But I I just think at the moment, 
with Bielsa there, with the squad they've got, with where they are in the league table at this very, very early stage, it's very hard to go there and say, you know, you're lacking ambition or you need to be doing more. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But some great news today. Let's 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 bring a positive spin on it. Great news today. Two Leeds United players are now in the England setup. I mean, saying that three or four years ago would have been uh, very outlandish. Patrick Bamford and Calvin Phillips have both been called up in um, Gareth Southgate's latest squad, which is fantastic to hear. I'm, I'm I'm so pleased for Bamford. I mean, what a journey, Baron. What a journey from being a Chelsea cast-off, being loaned here, there and everywhere, never having a home, really, at any club. And he's found it at Leeds United, finding a manager who fully believes in him. And it just shows in football that it is a game of, of fine margins. And, and yeah, yeah. What, what, what a great... What a great accomplishment for Patrick. And obviously yeah. Calvin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Calvin's an old hand now, isn't he? 15 caps. It's fine <laughs> yeah. now. It's just par for the course of Calvin. Just dominating international matches. Yeah, it's easy. Um, no, you're quite right. Fine margins is a lovely way of putting it because it, it has felt like that for Bamford, hasn't it? The whole time he's been there, you know, if he, if he misses the goal by an inch, he's, he's, he's a donkey. He's the worst striker in what was the championship. And if he hits the target, it becomes a hat-trick at Villa and suddenly you call him for England. And, yeah, no real. I think anybody can have any real complaints with his with his call up. I think Southgate has said on more than one occasion now that he was he was very very close. It was basically him or Watkins for that long list before the Euros. I don't know if he would have made the final twenty three man squad for the short list, but I think he would have at least made it for those friendlies that were at the Riverside. So, and of course, we've only had two games this season, so not a lot has really changed in people's sort of status off the back of last season. But, you know, I, I always remember when um, Leeds went to Preston away in Bielsa's first season, they were wearing the yellow the yellow kit uh, away from home at Deepdale. And um, it was deepest, darkest winter. Leeds, I think, may have been on a, on a particularly difficult um, a difficult patch of form. And, and as you well know, in the championship, if you, if you lose a game, it's the end of the world. And I think we're all aware that every point dropped is just another degree of anxiety for, for the, the spring running. And it was all just sort of conspiring against Bamford, and and he it was it was the sort of pressure on him was was immense, and I'm assuming Roof was injured maybe at that point, which is why he was playing. Um, it was the yellow kit in the first season, wasn't it? I'm remembering that right. I think it's when we we beat him two 0 down there, didn't we? Bamford got a brace, I think, from yeah. what I remember. Anyway, you see where I'm going with this. In in the warm up, I think he was miss he missed the goal in the warm up or something with some shots in the warm up. And the Leeds fans were, were were deriding him. The Leeds fans were slagging him off from behind the goal, you know, giving him ironic cheers in the warm-up for their own striker. And and he, of course, was just like, come on, are you having a laugh? This is in the warm-up and you want me to score goals for your team. Um, not not all the Leeds, not all the Leeds fans, of course, make that clear. I'm not talking about everybody. It's always a vocal minority, isn't it? Yeah. And um and of course, you know, as history shows, he went and scored a brace. They won the match. He did all the post-match interviews, and he was like, you know, he told us about this story. And you go from that at Deepdale to now being in the England squad. Amazing, an amazing, amazing story. And I think we're obviously hoping he, he proves that last year wasn't a fluke, and he kicks on this year and scores, if not another seventeen or so, then maybe even get towards twenty this season. But yeah, to go from scoring sixteen in the title-winning championship season with more games to scoring one goal more in fewer games against harder defences. Pretty special last year. 
Yeah, not a bad, not a bad one. And some of the highlight reels as well, like Baron, like, like you just said. I mean, the hat trick at Villa, the superb strike against Leicester away. What a hit that! Yeah, was. what a goal! Yeah, what a goal! Yeah, and he was he was just absolutely pivotal, absolutely pivotal. Obviously, um, getting in Virgil Van Dijk's head in that first game and <laughs> missing the ball and him chipping it over Allison. I'm I'm gonna call it a chip, even though it was a bit of a scuff. But um, yeah, I mean, fully deserved. And like you just said, Baron, isn't it strange? Yeah, we're talking about Calvin Phillips now and. He barely gets some It's not even news anymore, is it? I did the story after Bamford was announced today. And um, yeah, I think I, I managed to squeeze Calvin inside the final two paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, it'll be, it'll be Harrison next, hopefully, if he keeps, uh, think, you know, if he keeps impressing. Uh, yeah. Not that England are well stocked in wide areas. Um, yeah, I think um, uh, LUFC stats, Andrew Dalton, who some people on Twitter may know, I think he, he said today, it's the first time Leeds have had two players in an England squad since March 2004. Which I think, as you've already said, sort of says quite a lot about how far the club's come in 17 years. Yes, certainly does. A um, couple of days' time. Well, it's Sunday, isn't it? Sunday, two o'clock, Leeds kicking off against Burnley, Turf Moor, 4 0 last time out. Seemed like a little bit, it was a bit of a weird one. I think Burnley beforehand had sort of uh, solidified their Premier League place. I think they'd beaten someone earlier on in the week, and, and it seemed to be like the shackles were off a little bit. They, they, they seemed a little bit lethargic in the game against us but two games I still felt in the in the first half it was it was a tough game but Leeds is sort of one moment quality came to came to the fore really but I'm expecting a tough one Baron this one I really am expecting a tough one at Turf Moor what, what are you what are you thinking uh, ahead of the weekend yeah the last game at Turf Moor I think it, from what I recall it was it did feel a bit dead dead rubbery I think Leeds yeah. of course were, were long long safe and I think even the most optimistic fans were thinking that that you know maybe getting to the Europa Conference League was a little bit of a stretch, and um, and Burnley I think like you say by that point were virtually safe as well, and went into it not knowing really know what to expect. I think that there were a few team changes. I think um, from what I recall, I think Calvin did go back into the side. We had Robin Cock in the stand behind us with it with an injury of some description, and yeah, I think the first half was very very cagey. Um, I think Mateusz Klick with, with that goal sort of just just took. Sort of took the pressure off, if you like, and then second half, Leeds just ran away with it. And I think, as we saw with so many games in that brilliant end of season run, they just ran the legs off off, off the opposition. And um, we've already talked about Rodrigo's goals, and, and I think Harrison had one of his best games of the season as well. I think may have got an assist or two, but but generally just terrorised Burnley. But yeah, very very different circumstances. Maybe um, in the start of the season, fans are going to be back, and uh, both teams with a lot to play for, even at this early stage. Burnley, of course, are a team that I think on paper many people expect to be a long way behind Leeds in the table, though we know that on any given day, Sean Dyche can, can upset the apple cart and they can be very, very hard to beat. But from what I've seen, on, on no more than match of the day, and I've not seen any any 90-minute Burnley games, but I've seen them on match of the day and they do look a little bit fragile and um, I am back in Leeds to win the game. And I think from what we saw against Everton, there's a few more players ticking and clicking and... Um, Let's hope that Rafinha can can terrorise Burnley, get Adam Harrison, of course, off the back of a brilliant performance against the League One opposition. Bamford, of course, will be very, very high after his England selection. And based on Bielsa's comments, you would think Rodrigo comes back into the side alongside Dallas. Phillips, of course, will stick in there. I think Llorente probably a bit too soon for him. I think they'll probably be a bit, bit more cautious with him and give him the international break, which thankfully he will spend at Thorpe Parch and not with Spain. And then you've got Ailing and Furpo and, and Melier. So they're looking pretty strong, aren't they, Leeds? Yeah, they are really strong, which is great to see. I think 
we we spoke to we spoke to Alex, who's going to be on 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 the show a little bit later on. Alex James, who's, who's the Burnley writer for for uh, Lanks Live, and he was essentially saying that after the Brighton game, after the Brighton game, Ben Me essentially came out and said that they were tired. And I thought to myself, wow. I mean, the first game of the season, Ben Mee's coming out and saying that they, they seem tired, that the transfer window has been poor for them as well. It's the only time I think they've brought in Wayne Hennessy and someone else to replace Bailey Peacock-Farrell. So they need to do a little bit more. But, I mean, if you're already saying you're tired and you're coming up against the, a lead side who are, who are just kicking into gear, really, that, that, that could be a big problem for you, couldn't it? Yeah, I think Leeds should have too much for them, to be honest. I know that um, anything can happen in the Premier League and especially with a team like Burnley, who are who are quite wrongly at times written off. You know, I think I, I, whatever you think about them and their style of football, again, he's somebody else who's done wonders, hasn't he? You know, to keep to keep oh, yeah. a club of Burnley size in the Premier League for so long on such a yeah. shoestring budget. I mean, last year, what was it? I think Dale Stevens was their only signing from Brighton. And as you just alluded to, I think this summer is not much better. So, you know, fair play to Sean Dyche and, and the results he gets. But you know, most teams in the Premier League on their day will will should hope to beat Burnley. It's certainly a match you look at for three points. Yeah, and you look at but you look at the home game, Baron. When we played them at home, it's such a different game. Yeah, actually, yeah. Wow. Fa- yeah, if we are wow. being fair to Burnley, that's a really really good point. They were brilliant, weren't they that day? Or I don't know if Burnley are brilliant or Leeds were just well off it, but it was Boxing Day, wasn't it? And it was it was such a relieving win because I think Leeds got the goal and it was just a rear guard action, wasn't it? Of course, they're going to play a back three, which we haven't touched on yet. I mean, Burnley with their two strikers will force a back three, which yeah. which may may well tempt Marcelo with, with Llorente. But it, I think if, you, if you're talking about having Ailing tucking in as a back three, you then get Dallas at right wing back and then you get to keep Rodrigo behind the front three. Mm. If you were to bring Llorente in, push Ailing forward, then you've got a toss-up between Dallas and Rodrigo in the middle and do you want Dallas playing as virtually a number 10? So I'm sure it'll be ailing in the back three. Um, but yeah, that game at Ellen Road, I think Phillips and Stroik and ailing may have been the back three that day. And they, I think it was I gave them more... Against, it was back well, against was. the wall, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I gave them eights and nines because they just did so well to keep a clean sheet. And I think the um, the penalty was was a little bit dubious as well. I think Burnley, <laughs> Burnley Burnley scored as well, didn't they? But we got a free kick. It was the, the I think Melier Melier went up to catch it. I think he did, and, and the, the referee judged him to have been fouled. I think by oh, Ashley yeah. Barnes after yeah, he yeah. it in, and it didn't look like a foul. And they didn't all. get a pen. Didn't, didn't Ben Me get like smashed in the face, and he didn't yeah. get a penalty or something? And Dyche was fuming. <laughs> and I think replays did show he, they should have had a pen. I think. So you know, you know, Dyche is still going to be holding a grudge, don't you? You just know he is. He never forgets. Never like an forget. elephant. Um, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to ask you now, mate, uh, for a prediction. What are you going to go with? I do fancy Burnley for a goal. I think I think a set piece is their speciality and they've got some big lads in there. And I, and I, I think Leeds may well ship on a set piece, but I think Leeds will score three. I'm going 3-1 Leeds. Wow, 3-1 Leeds. All right, great to hear. Um uh, yeah, I'll go with a I'll go with a two-one lead. It's a little bit more reserved, but there you go. Um, Baron, we're going to head over to uh, Alex. Alex now, uh, Alex James. As I say, the Burnley writer at Lanks Live. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, buddy. No worries, Connor. Speak to you soon. Alex, I guess the perfect place to start is transfers. What's going on with Burnley at this moment in time? Leeds United have obviously bought in a couple of bodies. What have Burnley done? Uh, they've signed Wayne Hennessy and Nathan Collins so far. But as you said, they are like for like replacements. Bailey Peacock Farrell gone out on loan and, and Ben Gibson, who was out on loan last season, has joined Norwich on a permanent. So in terms of the squad size, which wasn't 
big enough anyway. Um, it's actually a little bit smaller because Robbie Brady mm-hmm. left at the end of his contract last last summer. So there's a, a necessity to sign at least one more winger. Burnley have only got two senior wingers on their books at the minute, which is asking for trouble over the course of a 38-game Premier League season. Um, one player who's been training with him is Aaron Lennon, uh, who obviously will be known known well uh, around the Premier League. And it would not surprise me in the slightest to see him sign a, a short-term contract. It's not one that needs to be done by by deadline day because he's a free agent. But he's a player Sean Dyche knows well and um, obviously is experienced in the Premier League. So I can see him coming in on, on some sort of contract as a as an extra body, if nothing else. Uh, but there's a, a real desire for them to strengthen and there's a, a, a need for them to strengthen as well. So if they did go into the season without adding any more, um, there'd be sort of real concerns that they're an injury or two away from really, um, really being exposed. Yeah, I think we've got that. We've got a little bit of X factor in Rafinha and you almost feel like uh, Burnley have got something really similar in Dwight McNeil. He sort of is the star man, isn't he, of, of that side? Yeah, creatively, he is the star man and, and everything rests on his shoulders a little bit and that's part of the problem um, because if he's sort of shackled or if he's having a quieter day, there isn't that uh, that creativity in midfield and, and even Dwight doesn't get too many goals from, from the left left-hand side and, and the rest of the midfield doesn't chip in with too many either. Um, there's probably an over-reliance on Chris Wood up front to, to score the goals. But yeah, in, in Dwight, and it, it was evidence at Liverpool last weekend, he, he's got a real habit of performing really well against Trent Alexander-Arnold and there were sort of four or five occasions in the first half where he, he just skipped past him and, um, and sort of escaped away down down the flank. He could have had a couple of goals on, um, on Sunday, actually. He played really well, particularly in the first half. So, he he is always Burnley's danger man, but the the problem when you're dealing with um, the squad that that Sean Dyche is dealing with at the minute is he's the danger man, and if you stop him, to some extent you stop Burnley because Chris Wood thrives on on Dwight McNeil's crosses, um, and if you can sort of snuff Dwight McNeil out a little bit, you're looking around at that Burnley team and, and sort of wondering where the goals will come from, really, other than other than set piece. Yeah, there's quite a few ex Leeds names there, isn't there? Obviously, you mentioned Aaron Lennon. We've got Chris Wood, Charlie Taylor. How's um obviously Charlie was 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 more recently at Leeds really I guess I guess Wood was as well but how is how is Charlie doing for for Burnley are you are you sort of have you have you taken to him is he sort of the definite starting left back now because there was a, a few questions at the start wasn't there Yeah it was a typical Burnley transfer really in that he came in and had to bide his time Sean Dyche doesn't change the team too often anyway regardless of whether he signed one two three four or five players he. He's very loyal to um, to the sort of players we've got this year. And Charlie Taylor was behind Stephen Ward, I think, when he first came in. Yeah. Um, but over the last two or three seasons, he's really he's really established himself. And, and you guys at Leeds will know he's he's a consistent defender, but he's um, he's strong in the tackle. He's he's not he's not the quickest, but he's very rarely exposed for pace. Um, he positions himself in in the right areas. Um, he doesn't get beaten too often one v one, even if it. Um, sometimes it's a recovery challenge as opposed to you know to tracking alongside yeah. a winger and going forward he, he brings a real outlet to Burnley. Um, he's, he's one of them where he, he just sort of puts his head down and somehow escapes 40, 50 yards down the pitch and you're not quite sure how he's managed to to do it because I, I wouldn't describe him as, as tricky or um, yeah. or getting any sort of fancy footwork but he's persistent and he, his link up with Dwight McNeil is really good as well and uh, together with Matt Loughton on the other side both of them have got um, both fullbacks have got an ability to put a decent ball into the box and to play high as well, and that 
as we touched on before, with when you've got someone like Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes and Jay Rodriguez leading your line, um, that's worth its weight in gold to Burnley, really. And has there been any sort of transfer speculation? We'll just, we'll just talk about it again a little bit there, Alex, about Josh Brownhill leaving Burnley this window. Do you know what? I saw a link some a week or two ago. It was mentioned with Leeds, wasn't it? I think mm-hmm. in, yeah. um, I can't remember where it was now, I saw it, but uh, no, in, in a word. Um, <laughs> I think he's only been at Burnley, what is it now, 18 months. Um, he's still sort of, uh, trying to sort of cement his place in the, in the team. Um, very highly thought of at, at Burnley. Done really well, actually. Sort of got thrown in a little bit by injuries um, last season and, and has kept his place. He's competent enough to play on the right-hand side as well, which which is a, a big fillip for Burnley, given their, their lack of options. So I, I do see him as a player who could progress into a top eight, top ten team if, mm. if Burnley don't progress into that themselves. Um do you think he's he's got a lot of attributes? He reads the play well. He breaks it up really well. Um, one thing, um, something I mentioned before about you could probably level at most of the Burnley players is he doesn't chip in with enough goals. He hasn't scored in the Premier League yet. He scored one absolute rocket at Millwall in the in the League Cup last season. But other than that, he hasn't quite we been able to find that. Hear that stat, Alex, we don't want to hear that stat. <laughs> Not with the game coming up. <laughs> um, it. He's got that in his locker, I think, but sometimes it's difficult in Burnley's 4 4 2 when Sean Dyche asks a lot of those two central midfielders, often up against a three as well from opposition, to to actually break forward and and be in and around that that 18 yard box. So I fully expect him to be at Burnley past past this transfer window and indeed probably past January, whether or not if he has another strong season with Burnley and and Burnley stay in the Premier League, or even if Burnley drop out of the Premier League, then I, I can see him as a player who other sides such as Leeds or or that kind of level of team um, would be interested in because he is a really good player. It's interesting you just mentioned level there, Alex, because last time out, uh, obviously, Leeds did the double over Burnley, which I was quite surprised at, to be honest, especially after that first game where I thought Leeds really got away with it. It was a dogged performance from Leeds, backs against the wall. I think it was a couple of games after we'd just been thrashed by Man United at Old Trafford, and it was a very different performance. Over, over the two games, what did you make of uh, of Leeds United? Yeah, we, I think you touched on it right at the start. The, the game at Turf Moor, which was the penultimate home game for Burnley last season, I think, um, it, it was Burnley were just blown away. I mean, there was a little bit of after the Lord Mayor show for Burnley because I think the week before or even the game before they'd secured survival and yeah, there was yeah. sort of a collective sigh of relief that, that that had been done. And I think Burnley lost their last three games last season without scoring a goal. So it maybe isn't one to read too much into from from that sense, although Leeds were, were excellent on the day um, and they did what Leeds can do, which is on transition and um, turnovers. They they just excelled and they were quick and they were pacing. They di- they were direct and, and Burnley couldn't handle it on the day. The game at Ellen Road, I think you, Leeds were probably lucky to win it. You probably could have made a case that Burnley were the, the team who deserved to win it more. I know there was a um, it was a penalty, wasn't it, from from Bamford very yeah, very very early on? Dyche, was he? <laughs> no, Sean Dyche wasn't happy with, and I, I still don't think he's forgiven Rob Jones, the referee, for that one. Um, and there was a couple of. I, I, I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was Ben Mee who was penalised for challenging um, challenging the goalkeeper and, and Bernie hooked yeah. the rebound in. And if anything, it was probably a foul on Ben Mee. But because it's the goalkeeper, it's one of those that 
that gets given in the favour of the defensive team. So, um, as you said, Burnley played quite well, and it was probably as good a performance from Burnley in that first half of last season as, as they produced, um, particularly for 90 minutes, because I remember they penned Leeds back in a little bit in the second half as well and asked quite a few questions and just couldn't find the the goal, which, as I referenced earlier, is a, a bit of a worry for, for Burnley is, you know, are we going to score enough goals to to win games and, and secure survival? So I, I think it will be more like that game on Sunday than than the 4-0 at Turf Moor in, in May, simply because of the circumstances. And obviously both sides will be desperate for, for three points. Yeah, I can see it been a tight one. Um, I ask all the guests every single week, Alex, we've had Samuel Luckers now and we've had Elliot Bretland from um, he was Everton writer. We're going to ask you for a prediction, mate. What are your thoughts? Has anybody got one right yet? Or what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, we've, had, we've had a draw. Uh, Elliot said a draw, but he did say a 1-1. And interestingly enough, which pains me, Samuel Luckhurst of the MEN did actually say a score draw, which I couldn't believe when I heard it. Score draw, Manchester United leads, never. Um, <laughs> Old Trafford especially not. But yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna push you for them. I mean, in, in our fixture, how many goals were there last season? It was oh, it was five, wasn't it? I think five, wasn't it? That right? Yeah, obviously Bernie didn't didn't score in, in either of them. Um, and uh, they've obviously not scored against Liverpool and, and scored in, I think it was the third minute of the of the opening game from a set piece. So I do think um, it'll be tight um, and I'll sit on the fence and say 1-1. One, one. Um, I, I struggle to see it been a 3-4-0 either way um, this time around. I just think with what's what sort of riding on the game, given both sides haven't won a league game yet, given it's going to be the international break afterwards. Um, and I know it's probably not in Leeds' nature, but neither side will really want to lose it. Um and I think uh, I can see Burnley getting something just to to give themselves a little lift before um, before September. Yep. So, have you? Um, thank you so much for coming on, Alex. Have you got any sort of? There'll be some Leeds Burnley preamble. Um, do you want to? Do you want to say where people can find you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, as as mentioned at the start, it's Lanx Live um, for the said preamble and uh, Sean Dyche's <laughs> view on on Leeds and and um, and everything else that we've got going on there and, and I'm on Twitter at Alex James Force as well. So give us a follow on there if you um if you want to uh if you want to check in. Yeah.